we're going to just pray before we read our scripture here this morning. But the last time that I was here with you some weeks ago, I preached a message on humility, and today I got to experience some. Praise the Lord. Those steps jumped right out and grabbed me when I tried to climb them. Yeah. Father, as we read your word this morning, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. Let us see you, Lord. Amen. So we are in 1 Thessalonians this morning, chapter 5. And we are going to read verses 8 through 11 of chapter 5. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This is a message to the church. So I ask you, church, what are you building this year? Are you building a house or a boat or a business or a family or a life? A faith? Are you building a career or a dream, a reputation, a skill? You know, building is one of those things that requires some thought and decision-making, some kind of action plan, and certainly some flexibility. Sometimes when we build something, it turns out exactly as we wanted, and we just couldn't be happier. And sometimes we run into unforeseen challenges that, well, they just change the outcome that we thought we were looking for, and then we have to open ourselves to some new possibilities. This is September 11, 2022. Perhaps you remember where you were on this date in 2001, when you heard the report that the two towers had been hit and that our nation was under attack. It was one of those catastrophic national events that shape a whole generation. Things changed because of it. That day made us change the way that we view security in our nation. That day certainly changed the way we build our nation. But did it change the way we build our faith? You know, in light of the scripture that we just read, perhaps our question today should be, what is Jesus building in you and in me? and in our nation. What is he building that would make us want to build each other up in the faith? You know, as we interact with each other in the daily ebb and flow of life, what does it look like to build each other up? As brothers and sisters in Christ living in that daily presence of the Lord, how do we strengthen and preserve the joy that is ours in Christ? How do we invest in each other's salvation with the gifts that he's, been, that he's given us? How do we encourage one another in a way that reflects the glory of God so that people who look at us say, oh, they got something I want. 
Perhaps we could think of this kind of encouragement as accountable encouragement. Accountable encouragement means that we're building on that foundation that Christ gave us with grace and truth. As an example, when Project Canefire goes on a mission trip to the DR, we go to encourage but not to enable. We go to join God in his work there. We go to adapt ourselves to the culture that we're in for two weeks. For the mission team, accountable encouragement means that we need to loosen up and remain flexible. The saying goes, the tighter your grip, the more painful the slip. <clears throat> There's a guy that used to go with us. He's passed now, Mike Troyer. But um, Mike spoke Spanish. He went on many trips with us. And just before we left, he would address the group and say, no, expect no expectations, people. Leave your expectations at home. That was his way of encouraging us. But for the people that we're serving and sharing Christ with in the DR, accountable encouragement looks more like relief and development in the power of Christ, right? Water wells, they improve health and productivity, but they need maintenance. They need supervision. So on occasion, we hold maintenance clinics, and, and then a group of people comes together, and we teach them how to pull a well, how to do their own repair when we're gone. We provide a tool bag and pictures to increase their capability, and then sometimes our Dominican and Haitian friends teach us a new way to do something that just plain works better. See, wherever we are, the body of Christ is working together and building each other up until Jesus comes again. So chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians is about the church learning to live together in the full awareness of Christ's second coming. We don't know when, but the day of salvation is coming. So live as if it was happening today. When Christ comes again, it's going to be sudden and without warning. So live each day that you live in the purpose that he gave you, that he made you for. It'll be a day of salvation for some. It'll be a day of destruction for others. So let the light of Christ shine on you as you love your way through this life. You know, our passage today begins with this idea of belonging to the day instead of the night. Belonging to the light instead of the darkness. Tells us that in the light of Christ, we wear faith and love as a breastplate, and we wear the hope of salvation as a helmet. So do you ever imagine yourself putting on battle armor in the morning before leaving the house? The images of... Christ's followers wearing battle armor indicates that we're in a daily battle, a battle with the forces of darkness. We're each given weapons to fight with, but these are different weapons than, than bullets and fighter jets. We're fighting with faith and hope and love. The next verse that we read this morning is an assurance of salvation statement. The Apostle Paul is telling us that whoever believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord in this life will not suffer God's wrath, meaning his eternal destruction in the next life, but instead will spend eternity with Jesus. So then in verse 10, Paul says that because Jesus died and he rose again, he is present 
here on earth right now as well as in heaven. He's in both places at once. We don't have to wait till we die to start eternal salvation. Because whether we're awake or asleep, we live together with him. And whatever we do in all of our earthly battle, we can feel that tension, can't we? The battle in this world of light and darkness all around us. And it's inside of us, this battle of wills, right? My will against God's will some days. Yeah. The battle's real, but so is the power of the Holy Spirit to renew, refresh, strengthen, encourage, build us up in the faith. We're not fighting our battles alone. Jesus is present with us every minute, and we have each other. And when we live in Christ, the battle belongs to the Lord. So finally, we get to the therefore part of this passage. No matter what forces of darkness are facing us right now, Jesus is with us. No matter what temptations we might be dealing with right now, Jesus is with us. Therefore, with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, encourage one another and build each other up. Therefore, spend time together. Get to know each other. Let Jesus breathe his word and his life into you. Let his word and spirit teach and rebuke and correct and train you in righteousness so that you are fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3. We need each other. So as we honor each other, we find out what those gifts are, and we encourage them in each other. I want to draw two distinctions today between living in the light and living in the darkness. First distinction is identity, and the second is freedom. I want us to embrace the reality that our identity is in Christ and our freedom is in Christ. You know, Christians make up about 31% of the world's population right now. And that means that two-thirds, or about five billion people, do not know Jesus. Those living without Jesus say that you only have two main choices concerning identity, right? What's your identity? The first one says, you have no identity. This is the atheist view, because you're just a worthless lump of primal ooze, right? You are just an accident without purpose, and one day you will simply cease to exist. I don't know how many people hold that view, but it's a desperate view. There are a lot more people who hold this next view. The world says that concerning identity, you just make your own identity. You decide. You are autonomous. No one has the right to tell you what to do or how to live. So just make your own identity. Billions follow that thinking. Here's your two choices from the world. No identity or make your own. But those of us who are living with Jesus in our hearts have found another choice. Our identity does not come from within us. Our identity comes from outside of us. Our creator gives us our identity. We have found this in Christ, and he fills us in a way that nothing else can. While many are trying to find their identity in societal norms and impulses and feelings, we know that society and our feelings cannot really define us. 
Because we were made for eternity, amen? Our identity is in the very image of God. And what about our freedom in Christ? Well, our current world defines freedom as self-determination, right? You decide. It's all about you. Um, Tim Keller, I, I quoted him last time I was here too in his book, Making Sense of God. He uses the, um, this verse uh, from a Disney production called Frozen to illustrate the idea of self-determination. Elsa, one of the main characters, sings this song. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, while the frozen character expresses that wonderful desire inside of us to see whatever we are capable of, she wants to do that without any boundaries. She doesn't know yet that life and freedom is bigger than her desire to break through, to see past the limits on the other side. I have to confess, there was a time in my life when I sang Elsa's song, but Jesus was there to catch me. You know, the Bible defines freedom as giving up our supposed right to self-determination. God has a plan for each one. He knows us before we are born. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it, Matthew 10, 39. C.S. Lewis says it this way. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Now, listen to these next two statements that he makes. Nothing you have not given away will be really yours. And nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Lewis is saying that if you're holding on to something or someone that you just can't let go of, then whatever or whoever you can't give away really won't be yours until you give that to Jesus. Handing it over to Jesus is what really makes it yours. Having is not having. Or the other way around. Not having is having. Likewise, Colossians 3.3 tells us, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. My friends, if there's a part of you that is not dead, it cannot be raised. Dying is living. These are the opposites of light and darkness, and the world cannot understand or accept them. They come from Christ. So when we walk in the light, we accept that God is in charge of his world and has a plan and a purpose for each one. If we keep playing God by trying to create our own purpose in life, we're going to feel the emptiness of separation from God. If we keep trying to build something that doesn't last, it's not going to satisfy. Embracing our identity in Christ lets us see beyond the passing realities of this world and the glories of salvation. Enter, enjoy the glories of salvation in the next. So if Christ's followers belong to the light of day instead of the darkness of night, 
How do I identify the darkness in and around us, and what do we do about it? Notice our text in verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. When, with Christ living in us, we not only become more aware of the contrast between light and darkness, but we also exercise some self-control in the way we think and we feel and in our habits. This is a new kind of spirit-led self-control. It's, it's not old self-determination. It's not willpower that has let us down so many times in the past. This is the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. So now, when we encounter the enemy, we just hand the keys to Jesus and we stand firm in the faith. But that does not mean that we remain silent. Because there are five billion lost images of God in the world that need Jesus. You know, not long ago, I heard a preacher say, in Christ, our mess becomes our message. And in Christ, our test becomes our testimony. So I'm going to share a testimony with you that recently happened to Patty and I that helped to build our faith. It's still building our faith. We're still working through it. We've just returned from visiting our son and his girlfriend out in Washington State. We've been out there for a couple of weeks. It was an emergency flight out there with the news that our son Lars had experienced a small stroke. He's 39 years old. He was in the hospital in Seattle, that, a, a hospital that specializes in neurological medicine. So some of our family members helped us to make quick plans, get a flight, and go out there. Though before we left, we were able to talk to Lars, our son, on the phone, and he explained what had happened, but told us that there weren't any treatment options yet because the test results hadn't come in yet. So at this point, we had only learned that Lars had a cluster of brain aneurysms that were potentially dangerous. Our hearts were heavy. We were thinking. Our imagination was working. What's the possible outcome of this? So as we traveled, we, we were praying and praying that God would spare him and restore him to health. So while we're on the plane, we get a text from Lars' girlfriend that some of those test results had come in. And the doctors were calling this event a seizure instead of a stroke. Apparently one lone aneurysm got pinched off, resulting in the loss of the entire right side of his body. He fell. The condition lasted about 15 minutes. And then his body function was fully restored with no apparent lasting conditions. He has full mobility, speech, and memory. Doesn't sound like a stroke. Look like a stroke. For me, it sounded too good to be true. I approached it with cautious relief, thinking... What about those other aneurysms? Is he just a walking time bomb? Many people were praying. 
but we couldn't wrap our heads around this new diagnosis. How could a stroke and brain aneurysms turn into a seizure with no ill effects? When we got to Seattle, they explained that the aneurysms, that, that cluster of aneurysms in his brain had probably been there since birth. With a spinal tap, they were able to determine that none of them were leaking, none of them were bleeding. We're not going in to do any brain surgery. That would be more dangerous than just leaving him be. He's probably had them all his life. They called it a venous anomaly, which might be just a one-time thing. While we were imagining brain surgery, God was planning a discharge from the hospital with some seizure medication, which happened. He's got some restrictions, right? He's, he's had a seizure, so he can't drive, and he trains horses for a living, so he can't ride, and he's, he's got some time to go through, but he's feeling himself. He's feeling good. I tell you this story because while we went through all these feelings, desperation, and then joy, we're still in God's hands. He was there every moment of that whole process. Our son, yeah, this, this event drew him a little closer to the Lord. He told me later that he now knows what it means to give his whole life, his complete identity to the Lord. He says that he faced mortality for about 24 hours and made his peace with God. And so... Lars's journey continues until God calls him home, however that might be. And that's true for every one of us. We don't know. My brothers and sisters in Christ, be encouraged today. Because however long you live in this life, <laughs> you're going to live forever in the next. You were built to last for all eternity. Our identity, our freedom, they are both grounded in Christ. Don't let them be shaken by a lie of self-determination, this autonomous freedom that is so prevalent. By faith, we come to accept that not having is having. And dying to self is living in Christ. As the body of Christ, we're all in this together. We are the church, encouraging, building each other up, strengthening faith, hope, and love. So as we go out into the world today, we go rejoicing that Christ died for us. And that no matter what, no matter what, we are living together with him. The church is not just an assembly of believers, but the very body of Christ. Strong, vibrant, shining his light in the darkness. Our mess becomes our message. Our test becomes our testimony. 
God's building process continues in each of us until we are complete in Christ. Pray with me. Father, we sang a song just a little bit ago. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your power that is made perfect in our weakness. And we thank you that wherever we go, we go with you. Amen.